Well, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the lowest attendance in most churches, and I think Christ Fellowship historically would uh, be consistent here, the lowest day out of 52 weeks in the year is typically... Father's Day. You do know that. And so as I looked around the sanctuary this morning, I saw that we we are, we have some pretty good attendance. I want to commend, especially the fathers, say Happy Father's Day, first of all, but commend you for being here because it's my strong conviction that at 10 o'clock in the morning on Father's Day, the best place for dads is not the tennis court. The best place for dads at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning on Father's Day is not the golf course. And the best place is not to be at Safeco Field. Three of my favorite things to do that I just mentioned. The best place for every dad to be on Father's Day is right here in church. Worshiping with the people of God. Sitting under the ministry of the Word of God. And so we are so uh, glad that you are here. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're making your way to Ephesians chapter 4, I would invite you also to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. We will limit the reading this morning to one verse in verse 29. Ephesians 4.29, may I remind you that this is the authoritative, infallible, inspired, inerrant word of the living God. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the men in this room who are fathers. God, I pray that you would bless them richly. God, I thank you that they uh, made an effort to be here this morning. There's so many other things in this culture that they uh, could spend their time with. God, but they have chosen to be here to worship with the people of God. And so would you not only encourage the men in the room, the fathers in the room, but each each uh, person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, may, may we come face to face with the word of God. And Lord, while much of what we learn this morning may, may be difficult, it may hit us right where we live, I pray that the, the balm of the gospel would bring healing would bring sustenance, that you would enable us to leave this morning better equipped, better encouraged, and that we would be prepared to live the Christian life once again this week with fervor and zeal, all to the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is Our New Life in the City of God, Clean Lips. I want to tell you a story. It's a story that happened many, many, many years ago. I was seven or eight years of age, and I can vividly remember coming home from school, plopping myself down in front of the great big TV set. Not like the TV sets we have today, the 60-inch plasma screens on the... Well, this was the great big TV set that was this 
huge piece of furniture that sat on the floor, right? No remote controls. You remember that. I can't even remember if it was color or black and white. I think it was black and white. But I I plopped myself down at 4 o'clock after school to watch one of the all-time classics, Leave it to Beaver. That is not funny, and I'm not joking. I love Leave it to Beaver. I was a little surprised when something took place. Uh, Just out of the blue... Just, there, there was no context for it at all. I uttered a word. And I just belted it out. Well, shock came into my system because as I uttered that word, my mom came flying around the corner. And she said this, Son, where did you learn that word? I said, with a seven-year-old trembling lower lip, have you seen that in a child? I learned it from my friend at school. Well, she proceeded to tell me that that word I had uttered most triumphantly was a filthy, filthy word. And that I was to never again utter that word. I need to tell you that it has been over 45 years since that episode took place in front of the famed screen of Leave it to Beaver. And never again did that word pass through these lips. I don't remember my mom referring to Ephesians chapter 4 that day. But looking back, that story, that episode in my life taught me a very, very important lesson. It is a lesson that impacted my life and continues to impact my life to this very day. In that short, in that brief conversation, my mother taught me that words matter. What flows forth from our mouths matter. She taught me the importance of of clean speech. She taught me the importance of using my words to exalt the living God and also edify or encourage other people. It is no secret that the Word of God has much to say about the speech in our lives. The Bible addresses, first of all, how we use our tongues. There is so much here. I'll just give you a a sampling. The Bible refers to how our tongues can actually produce evil. Psalm chapter 10, verse 7 says, His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. We learn in Psalm chapter 15, we'll turn there at the end of the message today, but we learn that the tongue has this propensity to slander other people. Moreover, we see in the Word of God that our tongues are liable to deceit. Psalm chapter 34 verse 13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Moreover, the Bible refers to our tongue in relation to sin. In Psalm chapter 39, verse 1, the psalmist says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. Isn't that a great picture? I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. The Bible speaks about how the plung, the, the plung, the tongue has this ability to plot destruction. 
Psalm 52, verse 2. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. I think you're getting the idea of what we're looking at here. The tongue has the ability, as we all know, every child, every young child knows that the heart, the tongue, has the ability to tell a lie. May I remind you that there are some things that we are told in the Word of God that that He hates. Do you know that one of the things, according to Proverbs chapter 6, that the Lord hates is lying? God hates lying. Now, I want to focus more of our attention, not just on our tongue, but also on on a related matter, that is the use of our lips. Scripture refers to falsehood and deceit and lies and flattery. We can flatter others with the the use of our lips. Pride spews forth from our lips. Once again, Psalm 34 verse 13 says that our lips are inclined to be evil. And I need to say this morning that while the Bible is is clear, it is vivid about how we are to have clean lips, there appears to be a shift that that is taking place in our culture. There is a, a growing trend away from all this godly counsel of how we are to use our lips and our mouths and our tongues. Over the last several years, I have read some articles that discuss the role of the tongue, of the lips for Christian. And to be completely honest, many of these articles that I have read by Christian authors do not sound very Christian. You may be aware that some pastors in recent days have even grown accustomed to using obscene language in the pulpit. One of the reasons I believe for this is because if I, if I use some four-letter words, that's going to attract the pagans. And I think my response to that would be, yeah, you will attract pagans. You'll attract a lot of pagans. And then you're going to end up with an unconverted church. Amen to that. You see... Using obscene language, whether it's in the pulpit or otherwise, is, is not appropriate in the kingdom of God. For a pastor to use obscene language in the pulpit, my counsel would be this. Please remember this as we think about what can we do to get people to come to church? Smoke machines? Bringing in these big crazy things to draw in the people, right? Remember this, Dawson Troutman used to say before he went to be with the Lord, what you win them with, you win them too. What you win them with, you win them too. So if it's a a smoke machine that brings them in, boy, baby, you better have something better than a smoke machine once they come in. And you're going to have to compromise and compromise and compromise because what you win them with, you win them too. I think you would agree with me that we are quick to condemn the big sins in the church. Homosexuality, adultery, divorce, murder, all these big sins. We're quick to condemn them. But when it comes to the, the, the lesser sins, if you can refer to them as that, like gossip or slander, or backbiting, we tend to be much more flexible. 
The Word of God I want to submit to you this morning offers a totally different approach. Today we look at the third piece of wisdom that Paul the Apostle offers to the believers in Ephesus. Believers who are learning step by step what it means to live in the city of God. Paul begins by placing a negative imperative on the table. He sets forth this negative command to the people of God. And I want you to recognize that this negative command built into this negative command is an assumption. The assumption here is that the Ephesian believers had an area of weakness. The assumption, if you will turn your attention to verse 29... The assumption is that they have a problem with their mouths. And we don't know exactly what that problem is, but I would argue that they may have had a problem with gossip. The believers in Ephesus may have struggled with slander. There may have been some in the church who struggled with with negativity, negative speech, or, or cutting people down with their words. It is possible that they were getting very good at spreading a bad report about other people. Perhaps they were in the habit of belittling each other. Perhaps sarcasm became a part of the daily routine of their lives. These are the kinds of ways that we have learned that... The pagan world lives in the city of man. In fact, you might even say that all of the sins that I just mentioned, you were almost expected to live just like that in the city of man. At any rate, Paul the Apostle challenges these believers. He challenges the Ephesian Christians to use their lips in a way that exalts God and edifies other people. He tells them something in this brief verse in 29. He tells them, number one, there's something you need to stop doing. And so we're going to start with the negative this morning. But then we're going to end with the positive. He not only says, stop doing something, but then he moves forward and says, says, there's also something you need to start doing. And so this may be the most simple sermon outline you have ever heard me preach. Number one. I want to encourage you to see the first imperative, which is, in so many words, stop using your lips to shatter people. Stop using your lips to shatter people. You might see this as the negative prohibition. This is the negative prohibition. Look at it with me in verse 29. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I want you briefly to notice three important aspects of this sin. Number one, notice with me the vehicle of sin. The vehicle of sin. And the vehicle of sin here is, is totally easy to understand. The vehicle of sin is our mouths. The vehicle of sin is our lips. The vehicle of sin is our, our tongue. In fact, hold your finger in the book of Ephesians and turn over with me to the book of James just for a moment. Because in the book of James, we learn that the tongue has unprecedented power. The tongue has unprecedented power. 
And we see the, the author of James using these very, very important illustrations, which, which began in James chapter 3, verse 3. We, read it with me. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds and are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. You think about a large ship, a massive ship. If you were to look at that rudder, the relationship to the ship is that that is a very, very small instrument. Yet notice what verse 5 says. So also the tongue is a small member. What James means is it's a little... See it, okay? Are you with me? If you fell asleep, now you can be awake. That's it, right there. That little teeny piece of skin, the tongue, is a small member. Yet it boasts great things. He switches to another illustration. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Notice, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Another illustration. Does a spring pour forth with the same opening, both fresh and salt water? He uses a rhetorical question, and the answer is, of course not. Verse 12, another illustration. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let us never underestimate the massive power of the tongue. The tongue has the power with even one word to damage emotions. The tongue has the power to devastate someone's reputation. The tongue has the power with one sentence to destroy someone's life. And so for this reason, Paul admonishes the believers in Colossians. He says this, But you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and notice the few words with me. The word that is written in the imperative mood in the Greek language. This might surprise you. The word in the imperative mood in this sentence is actually the word come. Let no corrupting talk come. There's the, the command. It's written in the present tense, which means this. Don't ever, 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 ever make this your habit. Don't ever let... A corrupting word come forth from your mouth. 
the way I like to remember this is this. Stop using your lips to shatter people. This is the vehicle of sin. The lips, the mouth, the tongue. Notice second, the source of sin. The source of sin is not explicitly stated in verse 29. And so we turn our attention to other passages. The source of sin. When I utter forth a corrupting word, when you utter forth a corrupting word, what that tells us is this. It is connected intimately to something about 12 inches below my tongue. What is it? It's the heart. It's always connected to the heart. Jesus Christ helps us to understand that whenever something vile or corrupt, when that proceeds from our mouths, it always has an ultimate source. And the ultimate source is always, always, always the heart. Listen to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its by its fruit. You brood of vipers, Jesus says. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In a few chapters down the road in Matthew, in Matthew fifteen eighteen, he says this. Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Mom and dad, when your child utters a a curse word, when your child says something rebellious, when your child says something that sounds repulsive or disrespectful to someone else, please remember that the underlying cause of those words is right here. That's the underlying cause. It's because there's a a nasty heart that needs to be dealt with. That nasty heart, that sinful heart needs to be cleansed. My wife spoke with one of her best friends growing up in high school. And I I was about to give you the date. It was XYZ years ago, and I, I know better than that. So it was a while ago. Right, And she talked to her friend about a, a high school reunion that Drain's friend uh, was able to attend not too many weeks ago. And she commented that the same people, and you're going to all, if you've graduated from high school, and especially if you're, you're old like me, you're going to go, oh yeah, I recognize that. The same knuckleheads who were saying mean things back in 1987, are still saying the same thing. Does that sound familiar to you? What's changed? People grow older, but unless the heart has been transformed by the gospel, the corrupt talk goes on and on and on. It's just more sophisticated. It may be even more subtle. The reason that people say unkind things always finds its origin in the heart. The reason that people gossip and ridicule is because they have a heart problem. The reason people say hurtful things is because their heart needs to be transformed. 
The reason for the corruption that spews forth from our mouths is that everything has to do with the heart. This is the source of sin. So we've seen the vehicle of sin, the source of sin. Notice finally the seriousness of sin. Back in verse 29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Please remember that what comes out of our mouths is huge. May we never again, when we say something mean or cruel or untrue about someone, may we never say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Or how about this one? I didn't really mean it. You ever heard that one? Yeah, but you said it. In other words, you meant it. What comes forth from our mouth says an awful lot about the condition of our hearts. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in this passage. May I tell you that something popped into my mind as I was preparing this message. I remember as a boy hearing something on the playground. I think I mentioned the playground last week too, right? Klepto, you're a klepto. My friends had no idea what it meant. It just sounded cool to call people kleptos, right? But something else I used to hear on the playground is something that I think all of you have heard on your playgrounds. It goes like this. See if I can remember. My memory's failing me. Oh, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can never hurt you. I'm trying to think of a refined way to respond to this. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Really? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words will destroy a person. I hope you understand that this morning. The words we use have the power. This little appendage in our mouths, these lips on our face, they have the power to take someone down. These, these lips of ours have the power to, to comfort but they also have the power to curse. These lips of ours have the power to bless someone. They also have the power to blaspheme a holy God. Now, I want to focus here for a minute on verse 29. And I, I should just freely confess, I love preaching messages from one verse. It, it, it is, it is, it, it, it's fun. Why? Because we can really, really dig down. We can go deep. We can look at these words. And I want to focus here for a minute on the phrase corrupting talk. It comes from the Greek word that means unsound. That probably doesn't really reach you where you live. Like, don't use unsound words. Here's one that may reach you even more, though. The word corrupting talk means decayed. Have you ever had a decayed tooth? Better yet, have you ever smelled a decayed tooth? If you've never smelled it, you don't want to smell it. It is shag nasty. That's what this word means. It means like having decay in your teeth. It means rotten. And so whether it's unsound or decayed or rotten, I don't know if any of those things strike you, but... Uh, it, my suspicion is it may not strike everyone. So I, I've asked my friend, Micah Jardinsky, if he would come and help me to, to illustrate this. We want to focus in on what is it when Paul says to beware of corrupting talk. Come on up, Micah, and help me out. And I told Micah, my, my 
commitment to him as I wouldn't embarrass him. So I'd like you to finish the message. I'm just kidding. Okay, hang on to that. And so what I want you to do, come on over here. And I have, first of all, I have a a little bit of water in this container. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to start, and I think I'm going to, what we'll do this, is I'm going to take off the lid, and then what I'd like you to do is dump whatever's in this container in this little container of water. So your task is really to do two things. Number one, I want you to tell the church family what is in the container. I have marked exactly what's in it. There will be no ambiguity whatsoever. So tell the church family what is in the container you're going to dump into this water. It's just dirt. It's just dirt. It's, it's dirt that is, it's dirty. So why don't you take that and, and just give it a dump. Yeah. All right, great. So we got some we got some dirt, and then let's let's go next. Usually, I, I will talk to Jereen about sermon illustrations and kind of kind of it's got to pass the smell test, right? Like, no, honey, that's inappropriate. This is one I probably should have went to her on. I, can I just be honest with you, Nika? I was I was literally going to call this toilet water, and I was going to go into the men's bathroom, and I was going to just just give it a dip. And I thought that's pretty gross. I, I'm not that gross, right? So, why don't you tell the church family what I have in here? Sewer water. Sewer water. Okay, good. It's a little bit better than toilet water. Sorry, Jereen. All right, there you go. Have at it. Make sure you wash your hands afterwards. Excellent. Wonderful. All right. So let's go to the third thing. This is, I I did this kind of for fun. What's in this one? Junk. Junk. This is just, uh, I can't think of a better word for it. It's junk. So go ahead and just dump that in there. Oh boy, it's getting nasty. All right. And the last one, I should tell you that I put in one of these plastic containers. It, let's, what, before I, you tell people what it is, I need to tell you that I sat it up here and it started leaking. What's in there? Poison. Poison, yeah. So the one that leaks has got the poison in it. So let me hold the mic and you go with two hands, be real careful. And let's dump that junk in there. Or not junk, it's poison. All right. All right. I'm going to take that. Will you smell it? And... Okay, good. We're just keeping it real, right? So now your next step is, I'm going to take the mic from you. Would you just take it and hold it just like this, lift it up. I promise this isn't one of those Dave Steele illusions. Just shake it. Like pretend like you're a Presbyterian and you're dancing. Yeah? (laughs) Okay, now go back to Baptist mode and stop dancing. Okay, good, good. Great. There's that. Um... You want to smell it? No. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take a whiff. Wow. W- would you like to tell everyone what this represents? Corrupting talk. This is corrupting talk. The Word of God says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Yet I'm kind of curious, Micah, if, if you had your friends over, would you take this toxic, nasty-smelling stuff, shake it up, and then go find one of your mom's beautiful goblets, open it up, 
and pour it in the goblet and offer it to your buddies? Maybe. Maybe. Wow. <laughs> All joking aside, you wouldn't give that to your friends, would you? Great. Thank you so much for your help. That's for you for helping. Thank you so much. Give them a hand. Here's the point of the illustration is when the word of God says, let no corrupting talk come from your mouths. This is exactly what we're doing when we put these nasty, nasty things into this jar and then we spew forth corrupting talk to our children to our friends, to our spouses, to a police officer in the community, to a judge, to the pharmacist, to a waiter, to a waitress, to our mother, to our father. And here's what the Word of God says once again. Let no corrupting talk come from your mouths. Exactly what is this corrupting talk? Many of you have heard me refer to Something one of my preaching professors helped me greatly with. He called it climbing the ladder of abstraction. Any of you remember that? Here's the ladder of abstraction. Paul is speaking fairly abstractly when he says, Let no corrupting talk flow forth from your lips. I want to take just a minute and climb the ladder of abstraction. And the more I say, the more it will hurt each of us, right? Because this is what he refers to. He's referring to sarcasm. Sarcasm. Some of us are very good at sarcasm. A sarcastic person is someone who, who mocks or ridicules someone, but actually they mean the opposite of what they really meant. I got a hat a couple years ago, about three years ago, from my kids for Christmas. It's a Seahawk hat. And I liked it, and I continue to like it. I know someone who saw me wearing that hat. He walked by me, and he went, nice hat. That's sarcasm. He didn't mean nice hat. He meant, you loser, why would you wear a hat like that? Cynicism. A cynic is a person who believes that people are motivated by pure self-interest rather than acting for honorable or unselfish reasons. Here's one that some of us have grown accustomed to is patronizing. Have you ever said that to someone? Don't patronize me. It means to treat someone with an apparent kindness that betrays a feeling of superiority. How about bullying and intimidation? This is something some of the children, some of our young people have experienced or do experience. I experienced it as a little skinny short guy growing up in grade school. I mean, I think I weighed 80 pounds in the fourth grade. I was this little, I mean, in junior high, the vice principal called me stick man. Right? I actually took that as a compliment. But on the, on the playground, on the football field, on the basket, you played football? Yeah, I was skinny. And so I was bullied. This person intimidates people not only with words, but the person who intimidates can do it with body language. They can do it with body language. How about the person who has demeaned his or her friends or spouse? The person cuts people down and makes them feel this big. They make them feel unworthy or worthless. How about the gossip? Reporting the details about someone else's life without knowing the, the truth about the real situation. 
I've already mentioned cursing, uttering forth four-letter words, using profanity, blasphemy, which you well know is to take the name of God in vain. Would you remember three letters with me and make a commitment this morning to never type these three letters again for the rest of your life? O, M, someone help me, G. We all know what that stands for. Oh, pastor, give it a rest. OMG. You're thinking, OMG. We all know what it means. We resolve to never blaspheme the name of the living God. We never do it. This kind of corrupting talk that we have looked at has, has no place in the city of God, with the people of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, you remember this from several weeks ago, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. I had a friend by the name of Katrina. I haven't seen Katrina for probably... 35 or 36 years. She was a friend that worked with me at Dairy Queen. And my friend Katrina was unconverted as the doorknob. I mean, she was a pagan's pagan. She freely admitted to live a a lifestyle that dishonored God. One day my friend Katrina heard the gospel. And the Spirit of God gripped Katrina's heart. And she became a Christian. And you know what? What not only me, but everyone else at that Dairy Queen learned about Katrina... She's a new person. She doesn't do that stuff anymore. She doesn't live in the city of man anymore. She married a godly guy and had children and and began this family. And they were a Christian family. Why? Because Katrina and her new husband had a desire to live not in the city of man, but to live in the city of God. I've found something very interesting over the years that when speech patterns are confronted... When speech patterns are admonished, here is the typical response. You don't understand. This is the way I've always been. You don't understand. This is how my mom or my dad or my uncle or my brother, they, they kind of, they, they taught me to act that way. May we never respond that way again. When we're admonished for using words that don't honor the living God or build up another person, We own it. We choose to live according to the word of God. Notice again, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Stop using your lips to shatter other people. Why? Because what comes out of our mouths matters. I want to encourage you to think for just a moment about your own personal oral hygiene. And I'm not referring to, do you floss every night? Do you use mouthwash? Do you brush your teeth? Think about your oral hygiene. Do I struggle with using my mouth in a way that fails to glorify God? What excuses do I have when someone admonishes me for using my lips in a way that is not edifying? What patterns of speech need to be eliminated in order to obey Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29? Now move with me quickly from the negative prohibition to the positive pronouncement. The positive pronouncement goes like this. Start using your lips. I told you we were going to end upbeat, right? Start using your lips to strengthen people. 
Instead of, instead of shattering people, instead of shattering lives, God's Word tells us this. Start using your lips to strengthen people. Notice verse 29 once again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but, huge contrast, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. God has graciously given you and I lips so that we would have the power, the ability to, to use our words. One of the things that Doreen used to say to our kids when they were really, really, really young and we're trying, right? She, Doreen would say, use your words. Use your words, right? Enunciate, articulate. I think most parents do that. We are called upon by the living God to use our words in God-honoring ways, in Ways that are edifying. And that's the first thing I want you to see. We are to use words that are encouraging. Please notice, once again, the sharp, the vivid contrast in verse 29 when he says, But, that word marks a contrast. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Now, Paul specifically says that our words are to be used to build up. To build up. He uses a Greek word here that is a, it's a compound word. The two words are, are, are house, our house, and strengthen. What it means is this it means to strengthen or to build up a house. It literally means to assist in the construction of an incomplete building. That's what he's calling us to do. Remember, he's writing under the inspiration of the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. So I find the choice of words here stunning. This is absolutely incredible. Why? Because each of us is a work in progress. None of us have arrived. The words that we use either condemn people or make a unique contribution in their lives. And so instead of of tearing people down with our words, we are called to build them up. Instead of discouraging people, God calls us to encourage them. Instead of belittling people with our words, God calls us to bolster them. Instead of criticizing people with our words, God calls us to comfort them. Instead of expressing hostility with our words, God calls us to offer hope to people. Encouraging words. Number two, words that are timely. Paul tells us that our words must fit the occasion. We must choose our words carefully. We must choose our words wisely. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 to 8, you can read that on your own, tells us that there's a time and a season and every purpose under heaven. So sometimes we need to offer a word of comfort, that is to a grieving widow, to a lonely friend. Other times we need to offer a stern word of counsel to a person who is struggling with his or her marriage, to a person who's making a career move, to a person who is struggling with depression. Other times we must be more aggressive. We offer a word of admonishment to a person, for instance, who is trapped by the sin of pornography, to a person who is battling unbelief, to a person who is using his or her lips in a way that, that doesn't build people up. 
Sometimes we need to offer words that that help with discernment to a student who is struggling with worldview matters, to a colleague who is on an ethical slide, to a person who is working his or her way through the differences between the various world religions. Finally, these words are to extend grace. Look at it once again. But only as such as, as it is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The final few words of verse 29, I believe are crucial because Paul provides, he literally provides the purpose for all that we have seen so far. This is the purpose for what I'm calling the positive pronouncement. And the purpose for offering these encouraging words and building people up is for the expressed purpose of giving Grace. Grace means goodwill, kindness, favor. Please don't miss this. On on any given day, each of us is faced with negativity and criticism and persecution. Why? Because we live in a fallen world that is characterized by those things. And so Paul calls upon the Ephesians. He calls upon Christ's fellowship to strengthen People with the words they use and in turn extend grace to them, to heap grace upon them. It wasn't too long ago I heard about a young man who was raised in the slums. His family was poor. And this African American youngster didn't have any marketable skills. He didn't have any talents. He didn't have any gifts that had been recognized by anyone. This young man, this 16-year-old boy, was about as low as low could get. Eventually, he found a job at a fast food joint where he continued to battle low self-worth. His lack of confidence and his lack of abilities were off the charts. One day, this little African-American boy, he poured the the french fries, the frozen french fries, into the frying basket. And he took that frying basket and he plopped it in the grease. And what is going to happen next changed his life. His boss was walking, walking by and he simply said, Young man, you really know how to cook those fries. Nice job. He's like, It's a basket of frozen fries. It changed his life. Why? Because for the first time, someone said, you matter. You have gifts. I appreciate you. What do your lips reveal about your heart? Do you demean your mom and dad? Do you demean your wife? The words that you use have massive value. Perhaps you're negative, perhaps you're cynical, perhaps you're pessimistic, perhaps you're sarcastic. And in the worst case, you're all of those things. This is what God is calling you to do. He's calling you to use your lips to strengthen people. The word of God tells us that our words have the power to crush but they also have the power to comfort. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
How can you use your lips this week to be an encouragement to someone? How can you strengthen someone by the use of your words? It's interesting. Paul says in Colossians 4, Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. And so how do we and how do you use your lips in a way that honor the Lord? The truth point is this. Stop using your lips to shatter people and start using your lips to strengthen them. And as always, as we close this morning, we turn our attention to our example, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who, if you'll remember, always used his lips during his earthly ministry to strengthen people. He always used his lips in a God-honoring way. 1 Peter 2 says that there is no deceit found in his mouth. As a final challenge, I want to have you turn to one passage that we'll briefly look at in Psalm chapter 15. Psalm chapter 15. And look with me beginning at verse 1. Before, while you're turning there, the question the psalmist is asking is this. How can a sinful person stand in the presence of a holy God? It's the question that the reformers answered in the 16th century as well. Psalm 15.1. Who shall, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Who can stand before this holy God? Verse 2. He who walks blamelessly. And does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. Nor take up a reproach against his friend. And so again we see the importance of how we use our lips. God is calling people to have clean lips in the city of God. And our only hope for doing so is by turning from our sin and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for every sin we have ever committed and every sin we will commit when he died on Calvary's cross. And when the Father raised him from the dead three days later, he offers eternal life to everyone who believes. And so may I plead with you this morning? May, as Charles Spurgeon did in the 19th century with those dear folks in England, May I beg you, if you have not yet turned to Jesus, to turn to Jesus for salvation. To, to bank all your hope and future exclusively on Him. Because the only way to have, clean, to have a clean set of lips is to have a cleansed heart. The only way our lips will ever be clean is if our heart is cleansed. Jesus Christ is the only one who has the power to both transform your heart... And transform your lips so that you can have the ability and have the inclination and have the desire to stop using your lips to shatter other people. And today to start using your lips to strengthen them. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the table this morning, we have this heavy, heavy subject before us. How do we use our lips? Do we use our lips to shatter people? Do we use our lips to strengthen them? God, if there is outstanding sin in our lives, may we, may we deal with it right now in the quietness of this moment. May we be able to come with a, a clean conscience to the table. 
May we come with a liberated heart to the table. May we recognize that, that we have, have dealt with sin. Perhaps there's even someone we need to, to get up and say, Brother or sister, I'm so sorry for what I said. Will you forgive me? And so if that conversation ensues, give someone the, the ability and the desire to say, Oh, I forgive you with all of my heart. Now we come and recognize that the, the cup is just a, a symbol of your blood, Jesus, that the bread is a, a symbol of, of your body, that you, you suffered in your earthly ministry and you gave it up on the cross so that we might be clean, so that we might be liberated, so that we might have eternal life. May this be a special time of worship as we close this service in Jesus' name. Amen.